Being in the change space, probably over the last 10 years, you can really see an increase in the uptake of change management in organisations. More and more organisations recognise how important it is. Um, there's better frameworks around it. It's growing, right? You can now, you know, Google change management and you can so much more than you did five years ago. There's no doubt about that. And so what it's doing is it's improving outcomes for organisations because we are a little better at it now. We talk about things like change fatigue and resistance and risk. And, you know, I think it's really sad how many conversations we have with leaders who are doing really exciting things for their organisations who come at it from a point of, well, this is going to be really hard. You know, we don't improve businesses just like for the sake of it. We improve them because we want to make work better and we want to improve outcomes for people and for our customers and our communities. Language has power and one of the words that we use an awful lot in change management is resistance and I think that we should flip that. I think we should be talking about reactions and, and the spectrum of reactions and not just why people or how people would react because we actually know why they react. There's a, you know, a biology behind it, which I talked about in the last podcast that I was on. Recent study that showed that 30% of people um, are, are unhappy at work and are feeling burnt out. We have leaders all the time coming to us saying, you know, change, change there's too much change and, and we're, we're tired, we're fatigued. You know, change fatigue is another, you know, thing that just really gets to me because we're designed to change. We're good at it. We're really good at it. Um, and COVID, COVID is an absolutely wonderful example of how good we are when, when we need to change. If we consider that one of the contributing factors to leaders feeling like change is overwhelming for them, I think a large part of that is because we've confused what their role is in leading change. So we talk about change leaders and actually what I think we've tried to do is turn them into cheerleaders so we're, we're asking them now to you know really you know, get behind the change and, and get everyone excited about the change and and I just I don't think that's actually their job. Hey there my name is Daniel Franco and this is the Creating Synergy podcast your business and leadership podcast where we speak to high profile leaders and thinkers about their careers and dig deep by asking the questions we all want the answers to uncovering their stories strategies leadership lessons, and their secrets to success. Today on the show, we have Kylie Morton, Head of Change here at Synergy IQ. Synergy IQ, for those who do not know, is the company that I work for, and we're a change consultancy who help leaders in navigating through the overwhelming complexities of change and help them build long-lasting change capability within their organizations. So Kylie knows a thing or two about change. And before joining Synergy IQ, Kylie spent 15 years in leading change in global defense companies and also major pharmaceuticals. Now, in her role at Synergy IQ, she works with some of Australia's biggest and best-known companies, helping them navigate complex change in a way that not only works, but actually lasts. At a time when change management practices are no longer fit for purpose, Kylie and the Synergy IQ team are redefining what it means to lead change. They apply a progressive approach 
based on deep knowledge of systems thinking, sense making, human behavior, and business acumen that achieves results and will reduce the quiet eye roll from everyone involved. It's in this episode that Kylie shares her perspective that change management is losing its way and that the organizations are approaching it in a way that may actually be making them unhappy. So Kylie wants to retrain our brains and she's starting a movement for more positive change practice and wants to build the pathways that will allow us to embrace and even be excited about change again. We also cover applying a systems thinking approach to change and the need to shift the roles of leaders away from just cheerleading to actually sense making. If you're a leader and you're feeling frustrated with your change efforts or you're a change manager with a gut feeling that things could be done differently, then this episode is for you. So without further ado, here is my chat with Kylie Morton. Welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. Today, I am sitting with the one and only Kylie Morton. Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming back on the show. Last time we had you... 2020 in yes. July in the heart of COVID. Yes. This is when we were running podcasts out of my house because everything was shut down. Um, so you got a tour of the the Franco residence, but thank you uh, for coming back. I think I said to you earlier uh, this morning um, that that uh, planted a seed in your – you were working with BAE that uh, when we had you yes. on and you were head, heading up their change management in Australia and uh, – I said that planted a seed because now you uh, you find yourself working with us. I know, I do. It's really exciting. It is. Yeah, we're very happy to have you in the team. Uh, there's been a lot's happened in the past two years. You've gone through a whole amount of change yourself, personally, and, yeah. and growth, and and decided to uh, come over to Synergy IQ. Let's just do a bit of a recap. Where where have you come from? For those who may not have heard the original podcast, it was one of our most downloaded podcasts for a long time there. It's been overtaken now, unfortunately. All right. Well, sorry. look, I can work on that, can't I? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we talked about the neuroscience of change back then and mm. we're going to be talking a lot about change again today. Uh, you've had some like thought bubbles go off in your head and you're like, Dad, I want to come on the show, I want to come on the show. Uh, we couldn't wait to get you on. Yeah. So can we just do a bit of a recap? Okay. Who is Kylie? Where have you come from? How did you get to and how come you're so passionate around this change world? All right. Um, well, so actually they're called bus bubbles now officially okay. because I had this, you know, wonderful smashing together of ideas on <laughs> on the bus on the way into the office and go. that's why I called it. So, yeah. so bus bubbles it's means… It's the monotone yeah. sound of the bus. That, <laughs> that's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so where have I come from up to here? Um, well, I guess I started out my career, um, you know, back when I was 15 years old mm. working in retail mm-hmm. Um and working across a huge number of different sort of functions and areas in a supermarket. So I got so many different experiences and I got exposed to so many different people and I absolutely loved the variety. And I think that that's where my – I think that's why I love what I do so much now because the variety is still there. I get to work for so many wonderful organisations and so many great people on so many different projects and challenges and that I think that that's what makes you kind of get up every day mm-hmm. and go, oh gosh, it's, what's going to happen now? So, yeah. so I think that um, you know that's kind of like a you know an origin. But what happened over my career is I I got really invested in um, listening to people, 
whinge about their work, mm. you know, and going, oh, gosh, this is, you know, this process doesn't work or this feels like it takes too long. Um, and realising that I had a sort of a skill set in being able to help people work through how they might change that, mm-hmm. you know, and take some personal accountability for improving their own work. And that really grew into this sort of passion for making big changes mm. in, in larger organisations. So my career path took me from, um, you know, slicing meat in a service deli <laughs> and making donuts through to, you know, improving supply chain processes in large cosmetics companies um, and then into defence and pharmaceuticals, all circling around process improvement, business analysis, and then ultimately change management. And I think it was that it was that actual trigger into change management that made my heart sing mm. because up until that point I had been, I trained as a Lean Six Sigma black belt and it was very technical and it was all about these wonderful you know, improvements to processes and, and the way that we would work, but they just wouldn't stick. Mm. You know, it didn't seem to matter how great the idea was or how much sense the improvement would make. Um, somehow we still had people who were really disgruntled. Yeah. So... Um, I was given an opportunity um, to join BAE Systems Australia and lead the development of their change management capability. And I started off as a single digit um, change manager and worked through to building a capability of a team that was, I think at its height, around 15 change managers. Yeah, wow. Um, but also, you it's know, like its own little business in itself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It actually, it's it kind of operated a little bit like an internal consultancy, which mm. was really nice um, because we had this, we had this team, this kind of home, you know, home base where we could all come and and um, and and find like minded practitioners. Mm. But then, you know, we were all out in the business working with different projects and different challenges and, and what that meant was the collaboration was really exciting because we were able to bring back all those experiences and those ideas. Mm. Um, so how did you, like, can I just touch on the BAE thing? <coughs> yeah. You grow from zero to 15 people. What was it that BAE saw in you to grow that team? Like why... Um, and, and the importance of change within it. I think that's a you know, yeah. pretty forward-thinking approach. Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually think that it was one of those classic kind of tipping point types of scenarios because mm. I, you know, worked worked kind of diligently for a good couple of years, um, you, know, you know, first of all on my own and then with, you know, another change manager that had joined the team. Um, and, and really the approach that we took was just to kind of get in there and try to make a bit of a difference, mm. you know, make a project a little bit better than it would have been if they didn't have uh, change management support. And, and when I talk about change management for support, what I really mean is somebody to help think through the complexity of what they were trying to do, mm. to really simplify that and to bring in the consideration of different perspectives that people might have about what was trying to be achieved and create a process that, you know, enabled people to work through that and to make sense of that um, in, in a way that increased not just adoption, which is ultimately the, the objective of change management, but also increased the experience, the positive experience for people. So what actually happened was, um, you know, we had one small project that was an office move and, you know, it impacted 200 staff. It wasn't a big mm. initiative. It wasn't a big move. But we we did these um, 
these small things like handwritten notes when people arrived Mm. at the new office and lots of preparation and lots of thought put into, okay, well, what would the experience of somebody moving from their old office to this office really look like if we were to make it as great as possible? And we put the thought into that. It was a good experience. And then those 200 people, you know, probably not all of them, but, Mm. you know, many of them then shared how great it was. Mm. And all of a sudden that one project became a little bit of a beacon for, okay, well, this is what happens when you do this well. Mm. And I think that, you know, on reflection, I think that was the tipping point because from there we started getting lots and lots more engagement from the business and, and in interest in, in what change management could do and achieve. And that's kind of when the team really started to grow from there, yeah. Just a quick note, this episode is brought to you by Synergy IQ, leaders in enabling change. Synergy IQ are the ones you call when the change or challenge seems so complex and you don't know where to start. But more importantly, we're the ones you call when you want to make a change that will actually last. If you want to check them out, it's at synergyiq.com.au. And so, I mean, kudos for that. I mean, to manage and lead a team and grow the capability Australia-wide because it wasn't just here in South yeah. Australia, was it? It was Australia-wide. Yeah team um so well done we're very happy to have uh poached you and (laughs) (laughs) that's the right word we didn't really but it wasn't it wasn't so much of a poach but we we became quite close in like our relationship and and working relationship and we're both in the same world work synergy iq obviously known for uh, their ability in in change um we couldn't quite wait to get you on board and help uh, you come across and, and help us grow our capability and our strength. And you've just gone from strength to strength and almost at a thought leader. Well, you are at a thought leader uh, pro- position now, aren't you, where um, you, you, you know, your voice is sought after and people are, are always keen to learn a little bit more about y- yourself and, and the work that you're doing in the change space. When we were, um, when we were preparing for this podcast, you were – you were talking to me about um, some of the myths mm. that are really <clears throat> happening in the world and, and you have a real unapologetic approach to change and change management. Can you unpack that yeah. for us a little bit? You was like, I'm pretty strong that I want to um, bust some myths here on this, yep. on this show. So I'd love for you to. Okay. This, the answer to this question for me links to why I'm here as well at Synergy IQ. Mm. So, you know, I have an, you know, an eternal gratitude to BAE Systems and the people who supported me and the team that we had there. You know, I, I amassed a huge range of experiences that make me who I am today. Mm-hmm. But there is something really lovely about working for an organisation whose core capability is what you're passionate about. Yeah. So, you know, BAE was an engineering organisation um, and so therefore that's, you know, project project management and engineering, that's their passion. Whereas Synergy IQ, we're passionate about great change. Yeah. So I get to come here and, you know, play around with all these ideas and thoughts that I've had for a really long time and have the backing behind that. So thank you so much, actually, for, for bringing me and no, allowing no. me to have that opportunity. Um, and so some of the things that I recognised was I think I may... I've always been passionate about improving work and I've been I've been sort of dogmatic about the value that people play in that process. But I haven't always, I guess, had the space to explore that mm. as much as I would like. 
And the unapologetic bit for me now comes from being in a place where I believe that I believe that the way we're managing change is making us unhappy. Ooh. <laughs> is that the mic drop moment? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, as in not we as in Sydney JQ, as in no, organisations as in, generally. In, in the world, yeah. Yeah. And, and so one of the things that's really wonderful is when I think about, you know, um, being, in a, being in the change space, probably over the last 10 years you can really see an increase in the uptake of change management in organisations, more and more organisations recognise how important it is. Um, there's better frameworks around it. It's growing, right? Mm-hmm. You can now, you know, Google change management and you come up with so much more than you did five years ago. There's yeah. no doubt about that. And so what it's doing is it's improving outcomes for organisations because we are a little better at it now. We know how important it is to plan and to communicate effectively and to make sure people have all the, you know, training and learning pathways that they need to, to adopt new skills. But it it just doesn't seem to be improving happiness at work. People are still very disgruntled about change. Mm. We talk about things like change fatigue and resistance and risk and, you know, I think it's really sad how many conversations we have with leaders who are doing really exciting things Mm. for their organisations who come at it from a point of, well, this is going to be really hard. This yeah. is going to be really difficult. You know, I need to prepare. You know, all that sort of um, – you can feel the shift in the, the conversation. They're excited about what they want to do but actually getting it from, you know, an idea to an implemented solution or, you know, change in mindset or culture yeah. feels like it's going to be a real hard slog. Mm. And I think that's a really – I think that's a really sad thing. Mm. You know, we don't improve businesses just like for the sake of it. We improve them because we want to make work better and we want to – improve outcomes for people and for our customers and our communities. And so so I think that what has happened is that as we have created more awareness and more structure around the importance of change management, we've unfortunately started to view it as a tool to prevent terrible things from happening mm. rather than a tool for driving great things. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> I want to ask you around... If it's make, like you, you're saying it's part of the ecosystem that makes people unhappy. It's not just the change that's making. Like it, it, that's coupled with leadership's uh, capability or lack of capability to manage the change. It's coupled with projects which aren't that meaningful. Is, is it the whole kit caboodle or is it you think mm. fundamentally it's the, you know, the process and the way we're managing change yeah. is causing this to be? Yeah. I, I think it's the process. Yeah, wow. I think because I, I think our leaders and so I guess, again, right, or another apologetic thing. Yeah. You know, I have a deep appreciation for like humanity and yeah. how amazing we are and what we can achieve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I see is when we, we go and talk to people about, you know, changes they want to make in their organisation or leaders who are struggling to get their people on board, um, it's almost like we now expect there to be trouble. We expect this to mm. be a hard thing. And so I I don't think it's an ecosystem. I don't think it's individual capability. I think what it is is that we now have change management as a structured approach in our organisations that is fundamentally now skewed towards looking for negativity. Mm. And what we know from gratitude science, you know, positive psychology is that 
if you continue to look for negative things, if you continue to look for the things that are scary and difficult, then you will establish a pattern in your brain that associates scary and difficult things with change. Mm. So what I'm saying is I think it's the way we approach it. I think we've lost sight that. Yes, you're talking from a meta point of view. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So can we call out some of those thought processes? Like what are those negative things that people are looking for? So so so, so people listening in can go, well, shit, yeah, that is exactly what we do. Yep. And that's the, that, that is the negative thought process sure. that we go through. Okay, so I think the first and most obvious one is um, resistance. Okay. Okay, so. So we're about to embark on a change. Yeah. I already know everyone's going to be resistant to yep. this. Fake news. They yeah. are not. They're not mm-hmm. going to be, like, resistance to change is this thing that has bothered me for a really long time. Mm. And it's, you know, it's all over change management language and frameworks is that, you know, we have to. We have to look for the resistance and we have to plan to manage it and to mitigate it. Um, you know, we're going to have to coach people through that process and there'll be people who are on the bus and people who are off the bus. You know, it, it feels like combat, mm. right? And mm. and so, you know, I, I think that when we think about implementing a change, if the first thing we think of is how people are going to react negatively, how they're going to resist, then you're gearing up for, for a fight, mm. right? Alternatively, if we were to reframe that and say, okay, I want to do this thing in my organisation, you know, or I have to lead this change for my people inside an organisation. And if we were to think about it less from a perspective of how will people resist and even just a very subtle shift and start talking about, well, how will they react? Mm. You think differently straight away mm. because resistance is a negative a yeah. negative reaction yeah but reactions can also be positive yeah so they may very well resist so you start down the rabbit hole yeah you start already at the foot of the rabbit hole yes. that is negative yeah. exactly yeah okay. so so i'm saying you know um language has power and one of the words that we use an awful lot in change management is resistance mm. and i think that we should flip that i think we should be talking about reactions yeah and and the spectrum of reactions and not just why people or how people would react because we actually know why they react. There's a, you know, a biology behind it, which I talked about in the last podcast yeah. that I was on. And there's a biology behind why people react to change. We're designed to react to change or else we would never have evolved to the point where we are now. Yeah. It's an important process. But, but reacting to change is something that doesn't necessarily have to result in a positive outcome for a leader or for an individual. It can just be a process that somebody goes through in order to help them make sense of a change that will occur for them in an organisation. Mm. So I want to I want to flip it. Like I don't want to talk about resistance anymore. I want to talk about reactions. So if we talk about the resistance piece for a sec, because in my head I'm talking to myself saying I start off with that so I can plan on how to not or I can plan on what I'm going to do so they aren't resistant yep. to change. So you're just saying – Let's actually flip that on its head and just go straight into how are we going to get people on board with this? Is that kind of the... Yeah. So what I'm saying is if you think about the science behind that that approach, mm-hmm. you are associating negativity or, and negative outcomes with change mm. immediately. Yeah. Right? That's your that's the pathway that you're building because that's what you're looking for first. Yeah. It's the language you're using with yeah. the, well, and your the mindset. project team. And yeah. yeah. Like if I start thinking about how this is going to, how people will react rather than how they resist, 
then that opens you up to a range of different reactions, positive or negative. It starts getting you thinking about how you might leverage more positive reactions to help people who, uh, okay. right? So I'm not yeah. saying don't consider that there may be negative reactions. Yeah, okay. I think you're right. Yeah, the, I think for me the light bulb just went off in, in my head yeah. then when you said it were actually with the first process of managing the resistance, we are only thinking negatively of how we can get people on yeah. board. Like the, our, our thought is how can we actually take the people from good to great that yeah. are already thinking positively. Okay, yeah, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. So I think um, so. resistance is one of those areas. Yeah. So going back to the those negative thought, yeah. Yes. Um, the other area that I think I see this most in is also in looking for impact of change. Mm. So like when I say the word impact to you, what are some of the words that you might, might uh, give me some synonyms? Like effect that it has on me, the impact meaning the, the potential revenue. I'm thinking from a business perspective, yep. uh, impact from a revenue perspective, impact from people, engagement. Um, Wind back a little bit further. Okay. What does the word impact mean? Think about oh, an impact. In, oh, what? I think of explosion. Explosion. Yeah, what else? an asteroid yeah. sort of hitting it, yeah, yeah. impacting <laughs> it, yeah. Um, I mean, all the above, right? Yeah, it's a negative thing as well. It, yeah, it is. And so, if 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 words have power, mm. right? And there's a quote that says something like, you know, speech has power, words do not fade. What starts out as a sound ends in a deed. But if we're using words that elicit a link towards a negative thing, once again, resistance yeah. is negative. Impact. Is negative. It's collision. Yeah. Like if you Google search, it comes up with collision and smash and yeah. you know all those types of things. Yeah. But what we need to be doing is looking not at impact, but at significance. You mm. know, how significant is this change for this organization or for this team or for this individual? Mm. And again, if I ask you to think about significance, you'll you'll think about different things. You'll start to think about meaning, mm. and you'll start to think about you know, extent and you'll start Purpose to Purpose and, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not saying we don't think about impact because we do need to think about, particularly if it's going to impact negatively on yeah. somebody, we do need to think about it. What I'm saying is I want to start retraining our change brains. Yeah. Like I want a positive change practice that starts positive first because then we start to build a pathway in our brains that says change is good. Mm. Like we we can do this, you know. If I'm sitting there and I'm starting a project and I, say, and I ask myself what is the significance of this project, mm-hmm. is is that binary? It's in the sense that it's got a big significance, a high significance within this organisation or it's a small significance? Is that it? Is that the only? I guess the, the answer to that question lies in what makes something significant. Okay. So for me, something that's significant has significant meaning like it, okay. it means a lot to me i i think it's important it's worthy of my attention mm. so the scale of significance will be different for me than mm. it would be for you yeah okay and i think that's and depending on who's in that project and which stakeholders yeah exactly yeah. yeah and so it, it sort of you know it links to that stakeholder assessment piece yeah. where you know we're not just looking for how how or what opportunities are there for this stakeholder to grumble about this mm. We're actually now starting to explore, okay, well, what makes this important for that stakeholder? Mm. What's meaningful to them? Yeah, okay. So it's the significance of all the aspects within the project, yeah. not just the significance of the project within the organisation. Yeah, yeah. So so if you think even those two very small examples, impact, resistance, 
they're one of the big features of a change management process mm. and planning. And we're using negativity first. That mm. negativity bias is in our change practice already. Yeah. And that's what I want it. Like that's the bit, that's my bus bubble. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's not about ignoring where there's risk because yeah. you need to understand where it is so that you can plan for it effectively. Mm-hmm. But it's just about not making that the first place we go. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I want to challenge you a little bit. All right. And this is where you're. Because, you, you know, we don't do that. <laughs> we often do we? Well, I mean, like, where I'm going is like many would argue that change management has a really positive impact on their business and, you know, going from not doing change yep. to, um, to to implementing change management. It's had some significant from bottom line's point of view, projects are being delivered, the journey's not as bad um, and now you're coming out and saying people are unhappy, we're using negative words. Yep. Uh, is there a contradiction in that? No, I think that there's um, an acknowledgement that it – it definitely has improved yeah, outcomes. Okay. okay so well, I mean, yeah, here you are an advocate for change. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And if I think about, you know, projects that I've worked on that have had no change management versus projects now that, that do have it, outcomes are absolutely improved. But what I'm not seeing is the type of improvement that you would expect. You know, you would expect that if we were applying structured change management to our projects that we would see better outcomes for people because that's what change management is. It's a yeah. people-centered process and and I'm not seeing that. What I am seeing is people who are still unhappy in workplaces. Mm. And I know that there's a, you know, there's multi-factors around that. Yeah. But fundamentally that comes down to their experience at work. Yeah. And if most organisations are changing things in their businesses right now. Well, everyone's changing. Exactly. Is why we're let out. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. So, you know, you'd, you'd be sort of remiss to go, oh, well, you know, change management as it, as the way we do it in organisations is not having an impact on, yeah. on that sort of, you know, um, employee engagement. It does have an impact. People are disengaged. They are unhappy. I think there was a recent study that showed that, you know, 30% of people um, are, are unhappy at work and are feeling burnt out. Yeah. We have leaders all the time coming to us saying, you know, change there's too much change and, and we're, we're tired, we're fatigued. You know, change fatigue is another, you know, thing that just really gets to me because yeah. we're designed to change. Yeah. We're good at it. We're yeah. really good at it. Um, and COVID, COVID is an absolutely wonderful example of yeah. how good we are when, when we need to change. Um, well, remember that? <laughs> Do you remember that survey that came out in COVID on LinkedIn where it was what change, what the um, – Spark the digital transformation in your company. Was it your CIO, CTO, (laughs) CEO or COVID? um, Exactly. And COVID-19. Yeah. 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 So we're talking about myth busting. You know, you said you want to come on and bust some myths and you just said we're not improving in change management. We're a change management company. We work with businesses, complex change and taking them through that journey, enabling the change managing to change all the above. There's a company that was established back in 2001, I think, Prosci. Yeah, I, th- I think they're a little older than that. Yeah, but they, but I, I think that the framework. The framework. Yeah, it became much more. So it's yeah. been around for a while. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And you're saying we've not improved. Because there's this myth that like we see it all the time. Yeah. Uh, and we're not bagging Prosci at all. I don't want to do that. But there's this myth that. You need a pro, 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 pro accreditation to be yeah. a change manager, and now you're saying that 
you are not seeing improvement and everyone and like the Proso have a pretty good yep. monopoly on the market. Is there some is there a link in that? It, it, what are you seeing? All what, right. Okay, so let me clarify. Yeah. I'm not I am saying I'm not saying that I'm not seeing an improvement in change management. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we so frameworks like ProSci have brought into organization organizations a structured approach to going from idea to implementation mm-hmm. and improving the way that we do that from a people yeah. perspective. So yeah. that absolutely has occurred. Yeah. What I'm saying though is that if we were if we were managing change in a way that was creating good experiences for all people, mm-hmm. then we would also be seeing change leaders and change enablers having great experiences as well. But we're not. What we're seeing is change managers who are really burnt out yeah. you know, and, and beaten around in organisations mm-hmm. and we're seeing project managers yeah. who are fatigued and we're seeing change leaders who are fatigued and we're seeing people who have great ideas not able to get them through to implementation. So I think what I'm saying is change management has improved some of the outcomes but it's not enough because we're not seeing improvements in engagement and we're not seeing improvements in happiness at work and we're not seeing all of those things that I think could be attributed to better experiences of change in organisations if all roles were having better experiences. Yeah. So so that, so what I would like to see is, you know, we've almost gone down the same path with change management that I think we may have gone down with project management mm. is that we've become too rigid We've become too structured yeah. now. We've got this cookie cutter, you know, you know, start here, finish there type of approach that, you know, I know that there are seasoned practitioners who, who you know, move within and around that, right? So I, I'm not saying that everybody is just, you know, mindlessly following a, a pro-sci yeah. framework. Yeah. But there are lots of organisations who are doing that yeah. and it is not improving outcomes. What I want to see is a positive change practice that, allows us to untangle complexity in a way that helps people make sense of change mm-hmm. rather than having, you know, it kind of forced upon them and and creates a great experience for all of the people who are involved in it, mm. not just the end users. Mm. The making sense part mm. is the part that kind of like just jumped out at me then when you were speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to figure out why it jumped out at me. I think we we really, when we work with our clients and we take them on a journey, I think the big part of our approach is to help the leaders make sense of the change. You've often used that in a lot of your talks and, mm-hmm. and your writing and, and all the above. Can you touch on the sense-making piece and why that is important for leaders to think okay. about that? Yeah, okay. So... Just reflecting on, you know, fatigued change leaders, Mm -hmm. if we consider that one of the contributing factors to leaders feeling like change is overwhelming for them, I think a large part of that is because we've confused what their role is Mm. in leading change. So we talk about change leaders and actually what I think we've tried to do is turn them into cheerleaders. Mm. So we're, we're asking them now to you know, really you know, get behind the change and, and get everyone excited about the change. And and I just, I don't think that's actually their job. And I think that's why we have so much kind of apathy and, and, and fatigue in that area. If leaders were asked not to 
be a cheerleader of change, which even in itself, like just the language that you use there, feels like a lot of work, right? There's a mm. lot of energy behind mm. that. Um, especially if you, you know, you don't necessarily feel that excited about this particular change. Mm-hmm. That's a big ask. But if I was to say, actually, no, your role as a leader is not to get excited about this change and convince everybody how good it is. Your role is to help the people who report to you, the people that you lead, to make sense of that change for themselves, to help them understand the significance of it for mm. themselves. Because, as you know, as we said, what's significant for me might be less significant for you or more or different. Yeah. Yeah. But to help them understand the significance for themselves and then ultimately to find a place where they can either support support that change or mm-hmm. make a decision not to support that change, which is always an option. Yeah. Right? But, yeah. but I think flipping the role and saying, no, actually, your job your job is not to get too excited about this. Your job is just to help your people find a way where they can understand what this mm. means for them. Yeah, I think that, that that's where that is. So and we're developing change leadership uh, frameworks and skills that are based on that skill set of, of sense-making. So, mm. you know, how do, I, how do I take my people through a process, facilitate a process for them that enables them to make sense yeah. of it? And, and that really looks like creating opportunities or space for people to react, to have that initial reaction to change, which will happen, and, and understanding what those types of reactions might actually look like. Mm. You need to have a deep knowledge of, of how you as a leader react to change if you're going to be able to do that yep. and, and also pay attention to your people and how they will likely react to change in order for you to create an appropriate amount of space for it to happen. Mm. So there's a there's a there's a knowledge piece there. So you know leaders should should invest a little time because it doesn't take a lot of time. Yeah. But a little time in understanding how do human beings react to change? Yeah. What's the response? And what does that look like? And what is it likely to look like for my people? Mm. And then and then there's kind of, you know, there's other parts to that. So once you've created that space for the initial reaction, then there's two two other parts, which is your role as a leader is to make the information that's available about this change meaningful for your people because you're going to get like generic corporate spin from yeah. Yeah, the yeah. project team or the communications team. That doesn't, that doesn't often resonate with individual teams. It doesn't hit the meaning for them because, you know, it doesn't link to their particular part in the puzzle or Mm. you know their purpose as a team or to their team culture so translating those messages in a way that's meaningful is probably the first thing that leaders need to be able to do and then and then the second part is enabling an exchange so what we know is that change is actually a social process I don't adopt change often because one person said it's a good idea Mm. I'm not going to take my leader's word for it, even if I have a deep level of respect for that person. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go and talk to everyone. I'm going to go and talk to all of my team members Mm. and I'm going to see what they think and I'm going to use that information to make my own decisions. Mm. So so a leader, their role is actually not to convince the individual. The role of a leader is to enable good, strong team relationships that mean that people can go and talk to others in a safe space yeah. and get those perspectives and then use those perspectives to make their own decision. So all of a sudden in two key areas where, you know, often we're asking leaders to get out there and 
rah-rah change. I'm saying don't do that. I'm saying read the information that's available and make it meaningful for your team. Mm -hmm. Translate it. And the only way you can do that is if you know your team really well. Yeah. So you need to invest some time. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. And the second thing that you need to do is to enable appropriate exchange of information between your own team members. So your role is to create good team environments, Mm. you know, create good team relationships, make sure that they can support each other, make sure that there's appropriate connection opportunities. Trust. Yeah, right. So it takes the spotlight off of a leader. Yeah. It's not all about the leader-employee relationship. It's about the leader's role to create the conditions for people to change. Yeah. And then the, the other sort of two pieces is all around well, if I want if I want my people to see that this is something that's that's good for our organization, then how can I role model that? So mm. if I'm gr- if I'm grumbling about it, if I'm reading the corporate spin and going, look, I don't really know about yeah. this, et cetera, et cetera, then obviously my people are going to pick up on that. So before you embark on any form of leadership related to a change, there's some soul searching to do around. Mm. Well, how am I going to commit to this? Mm. What does it mean for me? Yeah. So the sense making piece is not just for the for their people, but also for yourself as a leader. Mm. So the role modelling is really important and that's, you know, holding the mirror up and really looking at how well you're doing that is probably the first step there. And then the last thing really is just to keep people moving through that process, just keep repeating and keep creating the opportunities and keep, you know, unlocking the barriers, um, listening to your people, you know, creating opportunities for dialogue rather than monologue, Mm. you know, and I think that's what we've got a little bit wrong actually is that we communicate outwards but that's not what's needed for change. For change to be successful we have to create a social process where where leaders are actually responsible for facilitating that. And if you take that as your role rather than being a cheerleader of change, then it flips, it it does the same, like it's the same as what I'm talking about with language, like it flips the responsibility, the type of responsibility I have I don't need to put myself out there so much. I don't need to invest so much outward energy. What I need is to invest inward mm-hmm. and I need to invest in creating opportunities for my people. Creating that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to just touch on the role of a leader within all this. <clears throat> and there's a, there's probably there's, there's a two-pronged approach to this question, right? So we can go either way, mm. but I want to stick on the sense-making ma- stuff. So one of the myths around change management is it's digital, right? Like there's uh. this, the digital aspect of it, change management, the project space. Yeah. And people can make sense of that quite easily. Yeah. Like we, we're putting in a change that's digital. That's an easy sense-making part. What we know to be true is the change aspect is organisational. Yeah. Right? There's, and so the, the toughest parts – to make sense of change mm-hmm. is within the organisation and decisions that are made, the strategy, aligning it to the strategy, where a leader sits there and goes, actually, I can't make sense of this. Yeah. I actually don't agree with it. What's the role of the leader then when they're, when they're like really struggling to make sense of it? How do they then depict it? to the, This is a probably a more of a leadership question. Sure. While, le- while leading change, how do you, um, how do you support and deliver on a change that the executive team or whoever it is have said, this is what we're doing, this is where we're going and this is what I expect you to deliver mm-hmm. that isn't going to be a good outcome for your team and isn't going to be a good outcome for the community? Oof, that's a really tough question. 
Um, I think I think there are very few changes that organisations make which represent that scenario, mm. though. You know, like it's it's probably a, mi- a minority, but yeah. To, uh, Maybe I went a bit extreme in saying like <laughs> it's not working for the well, – I think what I'm saying is how do I as a leader work with my team, create a culture of change, create a situation where like, right, we're, like I'm not going to be the cheerleader but I'm going to allow you the space yeah. when we all actually don't really agree with what they're doing. Okay. So if, so if, you, if you're in a space where you don't agree with – the decisions that have been made, yes, it is likely because you don't understand the context behind that decision. Okay, okay. So, yeah. I there's I believe there's a personal accountability here. If you find yourself in a position where you go, "This makes no sense to me. I don't get it." Don't sit there and feel like a victim and grumble about. Yeah, yeah. It. Go find out why. <laughs> yeah. Go ask those questions that you you know, that you, you so need to change up. Almost yes, and, exactly. Yeah. And so a lot of leaders will find themselves in this situation where they'll say, okay, I've been told we're doing this and their people will react to that and go, mm, not sure about that. I feel like that's going to be a bad idea. This could happen and that could happen because don't forget we have a negativity bias yeah. towards change, yeah. right? Yeah, so we're, so we're already pre-programmed not to go, okay, this could work because mm. we're programmed to go, this, this probably won't work, right? So that happens. The leader feels overwhelmed. The answer there is to go, okay, let me take all those concerns to someone who can give me those answers. Mm. Let me go ask people. Maybe you have to ask 10 people. But don't sit there and go, I don't have the answers to that. Sorry. Yeah. End of. Take accountability. Yeah, yeah. So and you you may still find that you don't get the answers you want. Let's all be frank. We've all worked in organisations mm. where, you know, decisions have been made that we don't understand or that do not make sense to us, even when we found out all the context mm. behind it, uh, then there's a personal decision about whether or not you're willing to support that. Mm. You know, but I, like I said, I would deeply challenge that there are many circumstances where if you ask the right questions, yeah. that you wouldn't uncover the reason behind the change and the meaning behind it and and therefore start to understand how it could benefit. Yeah. I think there's uh, the word sense making means you're going to deep dive into something. Yeah, you, know? you can't sense making is not at surface level. <laughs> so well, and so one of the one of the barriers to sense making is this culture we have of feeling weird about asking questions. Yeah, true. You know, and so there's a skill set there to develop. And how do I ask questions about a change that is in a that's in a way that is constructive and not combative? Yeah. You know, rather than saying I don't understand that it makes no sense to me, you can ask. I'm struggling to understand the reason behind this. Can you tell me more? Mm. Can you tell me how you landed at this decision? Yeah. You know, asking those types of questions and building a skill set to constructively ask questions about these things we don't understand will actually help us in the long run. But for some reason we just shy away from it. We think that, mm. you know, it's not going to be responded well to. But I have very rarely found myself in a situation where if I've asked a question that's been thoughtful and well constructed that I haven't got an answer that gave me perspective. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I love it. You, um, in your whole sense making, like I'm, I'm, and this is a curious question, in the whole sense making aspect, the idea of sense making is to deep dive 
and break things down into smaller components so yes. I can understand it. You're a big believer of systems thinking. Yeah. Is that what you're talking yeah. about when you talk about that? Yeah, they're, they're very similar, basically yeah. the same thing. Okay. Um, in order to make sense of something, you usually need a skill set in systems thinking. Okay. Yeah. And so um, you believe systems thinking is yeah. fundamental. Yep. I do. Whole, yeah. Yeah. I this, think. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I can. And but, but start off firstly with what is systems thinking okay. for those who might not understand. So I'm not a systems thinking expert. I cannot give you like a proper definition. There are lots of different uh, systems thinking frameworks and approaches that are out there that you can go and Google and learn heaps about systems mm-hmm. thinking. But for me, systems thinking is actually the way in which we think about a situation and we gain understanding of it, mm-hmm. right? It, the whole thing. So it's about understanding the complexity in a situation. That's what systems thinking is So me. can you give us an example of how you would systems think about, I don't know, a recipe or something? Like is that the… Ooh, Okay. So let's systems think a recipe. Yeah. Okay, what are we going to cook? I don't know, a plate of pasta. A plate of pasta. Okay, all right. So we want to cook a plate of pasta. Is, oh, I'm so hungry. <laughs> We're doing this over lunchtime. This is a nightmare. All right, keep going. Okay, all right, okay. Let's give, it a, let's give it a crack. I haven't done this before, so let's let's try this. Okay. Or do so, you have a better example? No, no, let's do it. Oh, okay. Let's give it a crack. All right, like, done. we'll see if it works. So, all right, so we want to cook a plate of pasta. So yeah. you, you come to me and say, Kylie, your challenge for today is to cook a plate of pasta. The first thing I'm going to do is, is go, okay, well, what kind of pasta am I cooking? Mm. Am I cooking spaghetti? Yeah. Am I cooking lasagna? Because they're very different. Mm, they are. Uh, and if I… I have a preference. You have a, Which one? Oh, I don't know now. Uh-huh. I, I think no, I do. I'm a spaghetti boy. Spaghetti. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lasagna's good too. <laughs> what kind of sauce am I cooking? Oh, I don't know. I'm just hungry. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Keep going. All okay. Right. <laughs> what, what kind of sauce am I going to make with this pasta? Yeah. You know, with this spaghetti? Because now yeah. I've decided, like, I've narrowed it down. Yeah. Red sauce, white sauce. Yep. Red sauce, white sauce. Um, so I'm clear that Dan has asked me to cook spaghetti with red sauce. Okay. Okay. He has not asked me to make lasagna. So that means I don't need to worry about making bechamel. Okay. Okay. Yep. So, so what I'm doing there is looking at the boundaries of what you've asked me to do. Okay. Okay. Beautiful. The next thing is I'm going to go, okay, well, but where am I going to cook it? Like, am I cooking it in a kitchen? Am I cooking at your house or am I cooking at my house? Mm. Cause if I'm cooking it at your house, you've got different, like a whole different setup to me. And I'll, I'll probably take a little bit longer because I have to find everything. Um, am I cooking it for lunch or for dinner? Because that's going to – It's a different type of pasta. Yeah, that's it's right. a different amount as well. It's a different amount of pasta. Does it go with wine? Does it not? Yeah. And also, you know, that that means that I have to think about, well, how much time do I have to prepare? Mm. Okay. So what I'm looking at is the context yeah. of cooking pasta. And then the next thing is, okay, well, if I cook this pasta, if I cook this spaghetti with red sauce in Dan's house – for dinner, okay, what's the impact of that? The impact is I've got plenty of time to go out shopping for the ingredients mm-hmm. um, because I'm not cooking it until dinner time. So that means that I don't have to get panicked about trying to make sure I have everything all prepped and ready yeah. before lunch. It also means I have to drive to your house and I live on the opposite side of town so I have to factor that in mm-hmm. to my day. Yeah. Um, it also means I'm likely to get better wine because I think you have a better wine <laughs> collection than I do. Yeah, <laughs> but it also means, um, and this is the next part, that I have to consider the perspectives, the audience. You are likely to be a little bit more discerning about the quality of your spaghetti. I think I am. But than I, like my kids. I absolutely will be. Yeah. 
So <laughs> you quality stuff. <laughs> so you might, you know, react differently yeah, you're right. to me cooking this pasta than if I was to I've cook never it for my kids. That. I've never thought that someone yeah, you're right. Someone's viewpoint, it's perspective, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So so the systems thinking approach, right? What I just did was I just used systems thinking very high level to think about the task of cooking pasta. Mm. And so you've given me a, a, a very, you know, generic task. So, so how yeah? would that apply to a change management piece in a, in, within yeah, a business? Yeah, that's right. So change managers, that's actually what they're doing. Yeah. They're, they're applying that same kind of systems thinking framework to the change you're asking them to support. They're thinking through, okay, well, what are you changing and what are you not changing? Mm. And, and what's the context in which you are making that change? How are people? How are people likely to view that change because of the, like the perspectives? Yeah. Um, as a result of how they might be impacted by that change. Mm. Notice I've used the word impact, which yeah. I think we should start using significance yeah. actually. Yeah. Um. So so what we're doing is we're thinking through all of that, and often that's invisible work with mm. a change manager, which is an unfortunate thing because it's so valuable. Mm. You know that. Which is the most important. It's the front end of change. Yeah, exactly. It's like so often when we go and work with clients, we get called halfway through the project when that is supposed to that systems thinking yeah. piece up front is so yes. supposed to have already been done. Yeah, um, and then we've got to go and backtrack, and then almost well, and what a tragedy that often we don't get the opportunity to backtrack. You yeah. know, we get told to just keep going. Just keep going. And we've and got no time. We've got to keep. Yeah, going. and we're missing so much of the information that we need to. Do that task efficiently. So change should be thought about right up front. Yes, without doubt. And and a, and your you know if you had systems thinking capability in your organisation across all of the roles that enable and lead change, yep. then that thinking can be practiced almost like subconsciously. I think that way, and I don't even know I'm doing it yeah. because it's just part of how I go about planning for a change. Mm. So imagine now if your project managers had that same thinking process and your you know, your cha- your leaders had that same thinking mm. process. So when you asked me that question a little bit earlier about I'm a leader and I've got this change and it doesn't make sense to me, well, go apply a systems thinking approach. Yeah. Go find out what it is and what it isn't and, and the context of the decision that's been yeah. made and and the impact it's likely to have and the, and the way people think about it. Go ask those questions. So I'm going to elevate the role of change in this here, right? Because mm-hmm. like, I'm, what I'm hearing is, in fact, like if the change part is supposed to be done up front and we've got to have this systems thinking approach up front, then effectively the person who's managing the change or leading the change or partnering on the change, whatever word you want to use at that, enabling the change piece yep. right up front, yep. they're almost selecting the project manager, isn't it? Like, So one of the myths of change is that the project manager selects the change manager yeah. and then the, support, the change manager supports the project. But what yep. I'm hearing is actually... Yes. The change person's the first person on the role. They're the one that is actually doing all the research and, and, and understanding what is mm. that boundary, what is the context. Let's put the right project manager on this project. Yeah. Is that correct? Or am I am I off the mark? I, I think you I think you're par- partially on the mark. Okay. Okay. I think actually what could be really helpful is to think about change in two parts. Mm. There's there's the process of enabling change, which is where we do all of that systems thinking based work. Yep. And then there's the process of managing change-related activities, both of which are highly valuable and needed. Mm-hmm. But I think what we have done is we have we have placed the value of change management 
in the managing change-related activities yeah. side of things where we said… It's execution well, phase, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I said, you know, oh, my change manager is only as good as the change management plan that they've written that I'm going to go put in a drawer mm. I can not use, yeah, right? Yeah. Or the training plan mm. or the, you know, the the comms plan. That, is, that isn't the value. The value is in the work that was done up front to understand what you're trying to achieve and set it up for the best amount of success mm. to create great experiences for people and to develop plans that are true to that. Do you right. know? And so the plans and the, the activities that we then go about, you know, executing upon, they don't even necessarily need to be done by a change manager. Mm. They can be done by your learning development staff and they yeah. can be done by your communication staff and they can be done by, you know, the people that, that have to adopt that change. Yeah. But I think we've forgotten. I think we've. I think we've misplaced the role of a change manager. The change manager, I think, the most amount of value they can bring is to help you as an organisation make sense of change and gather all of the insights that you need to set yourself up for success. Yeah. And all of the great change managers that I've worked with, and I've worked with some incredible change managers. That's where they're that's where you see them light up too. They mm. get really excited about doing that because they know that that's where all of the richness is and that's where... It's the problem solving. Correct. Yeah, yeah. You can hear the passion like coming through your mm. voice, which is really like endearing that, that you are so passionate about. It almost sounds like you want to create a movement for this. Like, yeah. The, like it sounds like you're on this path to change the viewpoint on the way change yeah. is done in these organisations. I, I want to just sort of touch on on that movement and how do we get out of the world of where change is viewed upon negatively? Like how does how do how do we move forward? How do we get people thinking this is what we need? Okay, I think I think what needs to happen first and foremost is we do need to create awareness and recognition of where the value really is, and it's just one of those unfortunate things that you know we place value in things we can hold. Okay. And so if we were to, you know, start talking inside of our organizations about the value of information and insight, that that's actually far more important to us, the process by which we gather that and the decisions that we make by using that information, that's what's valuable. Mm. Then we start to shift away from, I don't care, I just want to change plan. Because if I have a change plan, then I can tick a box yeah. and I'm successful. Linear type thinking. Exactly. And it's funny because when you look at, um, you know, s- different kind of surveys into, you know, where organisations see challenge, their biggest challenges are in untangling complexity mm. and their biggest challenges are in creating leaders who are able to engage with their people and to, you know, help support them through change. Their challenges are in adapting to changing conditions, mm. you know, and to being able to do that quickly. And the, the good thing about systems thinking as an approach for change is that it enables you, if you do it, it's a, again, it's brain training. If you do it often enough, if you think through that process often enough, then you start doing it subconsciously and you start doing it more quickly and you start making better decisions. Mm. So I think. The way to create the movement is is for organisations because this is the thing, right, this this approach may not be for every organisation. Mm. I'm talking about creating positive change practices yes. that value upfront effort, yeah. <laughs> right? Not every organisation is going to be open to that. Well, because they're very reactive. Correct, yeah. exactly. But I think that 
the you know like all movements they start with early adopters yeah i think this this happens when organizations who can already see that the way they're doing things is not working right now um and that they want to try something different and that they want their people to have better experiences and they want to have better cultures and they want to start creating capability to change mm. i think that those organizations need to put their hand up and give us a call yeah and and that's how we start creating a movement so the the this movement though <clears throat> are we going to hit a brick wall uh when we think about how change has been poorly done in the past right there's almost like the post traumatic stress <laughs> yeah. element to this isn't it like you go in and you there's a leader that says we're about to embark on change and you get the eye rolls you get the complaints mm-hmm. you get that's never going to work you get all these things that pop up instantly yeah Right? How do we overcome that brick wall or that hurdle within this cha- this movement? How do we, okay. as leadership team within organisations or a synergy IQ or whoever it is that's leading this movement, um, mm-hmm. push through that post traumatic stress almost? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, so there's a there's a couple of different things that come to mind. Yeah. The first one uh, I read this study recently that was um, talking about where negative and positive memories. Mm are stored in our brain. Mm -hmm. And what they've found is that they're stored in two completely different places. So if I think about something that's happened to me, a negative thing that's happened to me in the past, you know, an area of my brain will light up. And if I think about something that's positive that's happened to me in the past, then a different area will light up. What they have found is that if you trigger a negative memory and then at the right time trigger a positive memory, then the effect of that positive memory diminishes how bright the negative memory shines mm. permanently. Yeah, neutralizes it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Makes it less of an like yeah. you know. And so my hypothesis, it is just a hypothesis I think, but I've seen it happen. Mm. So I you know, I think there's something here, which is that if you create an opportunity for almost like corporate therapy for people to go, you know what? The way you did that last time was really terrible. And I didn't like it. You know, you didn't consider all of the factors mm. um, and, you know, I want to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And then and then we create an opportunity to say, okay, yeah, but what was good about it? What did we do that did work? Yep. You know, how can we make sure that we do more of that mm. and that we also mitigate and improve the things that we didn't get right last time? If you create even just that opportunity in your own team, right, it doesn't have to be organisational wide, yeah. but just in your own team, then you will begin the shift in people because you're going to diminish the impact of those negative thoughts, negative memory from last time, mm-hmm. and you're going to start to shift mindsets to a positive place. So this positive change practice starts to happen when leaders create an opportunity for their people to have a vi- have a bit of a vent, mm. but then keep them moving towards, okay, well, what do we do next? Yeah. How do we do this better? And and so I think that that's, that's kind of one thing that mm. we can do. I think the other thing is just acknowledging that it kind of takes a bit of time to build trust mm. and being really transparent about that. So organisations I think that are ready to do change differently need to actually tell people that that's what they're doing yeah. and say, you know, we, we know that we may not have done this well in the past and we're sorry for that. Yeah. But we're committing, you know, that again, there's that, you know, personally commit 
we're committing to doing it differently and we're going to show you what that's going to look like and we'll build your trust over time. And be realistic, I think, as I'm listening to that, it's not black and white. You don't say we did it bad last time, therefore this time will be good. Yeah. This time will be better. Better. The next time will be better. Better, yeah. And it's this iteration piece. Yeah. You know, you don't turn the ship around overnight. It it takes a few, you know. Yeah. So. Well, sorry, so just back to that point. You know, the example at BAE with the office move and, this, mm. you know, that's that's one of the great tactics is that don't do this on big things. Yeah. Just do it better on small things. Yeah, and if there are small. enough small things, they'll build up eventually to a better experience overall. Isn't that amazing how that just ties into with everything in life? Yeah. You know I mean, the book Atomic Habits is written on the back of doing starting with small things. Get yes. up in the morning, start with three push-ups. Yeah. Followed by three squats. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. then you build that habit. Absolutely. Right? And then all of a sudden you're running a marathon. Like it's just this building up of yeah. the process. And I think that's what I'm trying to do here is we're amassing a wealth of knowledge about how to improve our health and well-being outside of work. Yeah. We're not applying that necessarily to our change practices. Mm. What we're doing is we're 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 just, you know, creating a framework and a bunch of tools and and then having people in our organisations, who change managers, who are highly skilled and highly passionate and not giving them the space to do their jobs really well. Yeah. You know, that that's what I think there's a huge opportunity there. This can almost sound utopian, right? Yeah, I know. Where, the, you know, just fix the mindset, guys. Like that's almost the, the attitude. And I don't mean to rubbish what you're saying but – there's going to be some organisations where this just won't work. What's the scenario then? <laughs> like where where leadership is probably not at its greatest. Mm-hmm. Uh, shifting mindset is going to be tough. There's some people who have been around for 40 years, you know, they're like the way things have been done in the past. What happens in that space? All right. This is – I once had someone who said to me, that there is no shame in continuing to find a place where you fit. Mm. And I think that that's where I'm at with this. Okay. I believe that if we create more positive practices in our approach to change, that we will create better outcomes. Mm. So, I, ha- you know, that there's science and there's experience and there's also just this, you know, just faith. Yeah. I just, I'm, this will work if yeah. we do it, right? So I, I get it. There's a utopian kind of view here, but I don't care. Mm. I think that's the thing. I don't care. I'm unapologetic about it now. You can't start a movement unless you're thinking. No. And, and again, like I'm not trying to create utopia. I'm just trying to create better outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. And what I know is that, you know, doing the same thing we've always done isn't going to do that. Yeah. So what harm is there? I mean, I, I guess I'd ask you, you know, those organisations who might kind of go, mm, not sure about that. But what harm is there mm. in doing it a little differently and seeing what happens? Because mm. what I'm not saying is we're not going to plan for yeah. negative reactions. I'm not saying we're not going to make sure that we consider all of the risks. I'm not saying that we're not going to make sure that we've considered impact. I'm not, I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is let's approach it differently. Let's create a muscle memory that associates planning for change with positivity rather than negativity mm. and just see what happens. Maybe it's an experiment. It's not. You is know. there a lack of control that comes with it though? Yeah. You know, yeah, but isn't there a lack of control? Yeah, I know, but I think is that the point? Yeah, it is. 
it's the point of the, why this will be difficult is because there's some people yeah. that just won't be able to let or relinquish the control that they like to have on a project or they like to yeah. have on a program or they like to have on a change. And the reality is they never had it to start with, right? There's yeah. always this messy middle, you know, change yeah, is never true. linear. You know, what all we ever really know is where we are now and where we want to be. The stuff that happens in the middle cannot be planned. Mm. You know, that's one of the biggest fallacies, isn't it? That like you can you can set a plan and follow a plan. Like it never ever happens that mm. way. But what you can do is you can give people ways of thinking that sets them up for success when things get messy mm. so that they can make decisions more quickly. So, yes, you have to kind of relinquish the ability to control. But if you have created capability in the areas that allow people to move through chaos and come out the other side mm. with still, you know, still aligned to the original intentions, then, then isn't that isn't that what you yeah. want? Yeah. yeah. You, I mean, say we we got these organisations who have said, right, I'm I'm going to give this opportunity. I'm going to think about change more positively, mm-hmm. um, and then they start to iterate those changes within the organisation. What are some of those iterations? What are some of the small things that they can work on first that you would think almost like low hanging fruit? This is a good place to start. Just get that this started, and then come back for round two. Yeah. Okay. I think. Uh, I think, like I said, first place for me is to start thinking about not resistance but reaction. Yeah, okay. Okay? Yeah. Do that first because if you're thinking about how people might react, then you're opening yourself up to a broader spectrum of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the work that we're doing is around understanding like change personas. Like people react in different ways because they feel differently about their particular profession or practice or mm. they've you know got a different mindset or different experiences you can use all of that in service of change if you understand it. So I think first thing is to start thinking about the people who are involved in change and understanding their reactions and the motivations behind those reactions and thinking about how we could use them in service, yep. right? So that doesn't – I know that's not like a, you know, that's not a here's this here's template, a, yeah. right? <laughs> maybe I'm being too uh, – Maybe I need uh, to Maybe I need to get you yeah, on the oh, movement then. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know me, I'm a uh, – yeah. Strange thinker. Uh, just, but what does good change look like then? So let's say we've we've implemented this. We're we're, we're positive. We're thinking. We're, we're feeling good about where we're going, and we've just delivered. What is a good change project? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What are people experiencing when they when a change is delivered very well? When change is delivered very well, they've had an opportunity to turn confusion into clarity. Mm. Right. So. If it's, we'd be probably silly to think that, you know, we were able to create clarity straight up. But in the circumstances where we haven't, that we've created opportunity for them to turn that confusion into clarity. Mm. I know what this is. I know I know what was behind it. I understand how it's likely to change the way I work and, and how I need to think differently. So I've had opportunity to understand the change for me mm-hmm. as an individual and the reason why I've had that opportunity is because my leader has created the right channels for me to ask questions and for me to interact with peers and other people who are involved so that I can get the information that I need. And what that means is that I feel like I'm part of this. Mm. You know, I, I don't feel like this is happening to me. 
I feel like this is a process that I'm part of. Mm. So I've engaged with it. And when I've when I've raised concerns, I've not been met with just get on with it. I've been met with, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it like that. Let me go talk to somebody and mm. see what they might think. So genuine interest in my perspectives mm. related to how this change might affect me or how it may be rolled out. So I feel considered mm. and I feel included. Um, the it change gives you the sense, warm sense yeah. of fuzzies, isn't yeah. it? Like this change is moving forward and everyone yeah. is considerate. Yeah, and if you think about times in the past where, you know, a, you've made a decision in your personal life um, that you you might not think is the best decision. Like let's say, let's say your wife decided, you know, you were going to do this thing and you're like, mm, I'm not really sure. The best outcome for that is where you've had an opportunity to raise your concerns. Mm. And even if the decision stands, you you're less likely to be grumbly about that mm. because you've had the opportunity. And you go, all right, cool. Yeah, well, yeah. we've talked to three. I've been heard. You've been heard. So an opportunity to be heard and then an opportunity to be part of the process in which we move from here, you know, here to next. It When it comes to the actual kind of management of change-related activities, it feels like it's open. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it's not uh, we will dogmatically follow this plan to the detriment of anything and everything around us as, you know, things happen and change. Mm. It feels like the cha- the plan changed because it needed to mm. and I understood why and I might have even been part of instigating that change. Mm. So, again, I'm included. Yeah. Um, it feels like all the different aspects have been considered mm-hmm. and at the end when this new thing is implemented, it feels like it wasn't, it wasn't some mad rush to shove something in to some, you know, arbitrary deadline. It feels like it was a thought through process, mm. even if it wasn't a great outcome for me. Mm. And I think that's our problem. Like we don't, again, change leading versus cheerleading. It doesn't have to be about being excited and positive yeah. about change. It just means that being positive about how we approach the thinking and the planning behind it mm-hmm. and making sure that, we're creating opportunity for people to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because, like, I've been thinking about change for a long time now. Obviously, we run a business that specialises mm. in it. And I've never thought about it when you said it's being open to the movement of it. And the Bruce Lee quote, you know, be like water mm. is the – is, Flow. The, is yeah. the Exactly. It's the, it's the element of successful change – is not just about the outcome. Mm-hmm. It's about the journey. It's about how we moved along the process. It's how we um, were able to uh, change and pivot, mm-hmm. you know, using the words of today, um, in a way that is fine. Yeah. It's good. It's a, if we have to, if that's going to give the business and the community and our clients and our people the best outcome, then that's fine. Yeah. Let's make that change. And when – Leaders have that thought process and change makers have that thought process. You get the, the, mm. the resistance just sort of falls away, doesn't it? Yeah. Because everyone's just working yeah. together to get the outcome. Yeah. I think some of the worst sort of change experiences I've been part of is where, you know, a plan has been set and then we're all working towards that plan even though like we might know that it's not achievable. Mm. And, you know, can count on 10 fingers and 10 toes the number of projects that I've been part of yeah. where you've had that experience. What's so deeply frustrating about it is that it it feels like you're not heard. Mm. 
mm. hang on, this isn't going to work. Yeah. And and I, maybe that's where this positive practice, change practice needs to come in is, is that, you know, rather than us going, this feels like it's not going to work, you know, we can't keep following this plan, what we should be thinking about is, okay, well, what do we need to achieve and by when? You know, and how could we do that? What needs to change in order for us to achieve those things? Yeah. So there's a there's a shift that needs to happen actually in not just change leaders and change enablers but in employees as well. And I think that that's where, you know, a positive change practice as a kind of like a warm blanket around all of it means that you'll have people who are helping you solve your problems, who yeah. are not just raising grumbles and concerns but are saying, Here's how I think I can fix that. And the reason why I think I can fix that is because I've used a systems thinking approach to understand this situation yeah. and I can come up with some solutions that will work. So it's kind of there's all these component parts that need to come together, I think, to create a better approach to change. And, and that's, what, that's why I'm really excited, I think, about being able to create that. <clears throat> so I want to think about wrapping this up in a sec. We've, mm-hmm. <laughs> we've actually got to shoot off in a minute. The... Leaders listening in to this podcast, we have a lot of leaders, executives, mm-hmm. leaders, change makers, all the above that listen in. They're a big part of our audience with yep. the Creating Synergy podcast. They're listening in going, all those components that you just rattled off, yep. I've got no idea where to start. I'm going to give Kylie a call. What does it look like when you would go into a business? What is that? What is using well, external consultant like yourself? Yep look and feel like as you would approach that situation? Sure. Okay, well, I think first of all, you know, we're creating a change framework that's based on systems thinking. So we um, we would come into your organisation and actually explain that first mm-hmm. and foremost. And then the second part we would do is identify where there might be some capability gaps to support that process. Mm-hmm. And then with, our, with a range of different kind of, you know, learning interventions, offer some opportunities for us to increase that capability. Yeah. The best, the best way that this is done is where we can come in and work alongside your you and your people to implement change using a positive change practice and a systems thinking approach and teach people as we go. Mm. And those kinds of people are, you know, change leaders and enablers, um, you know, people who are, people who are, you know, going to actually be adopting the change, yeah. creating awareness and understanding of all the different capabilities that support it in the context of something you're actually trying to do right now. Yeah. yeah I think, I think that's how you create it. I mean, we, you know, there's, there's lots of, there's lots of times where people have gone to training courses and it's great, yeah. you know, they're great, but it's the actual application of it. Yeah. That makes I, got a a, I had a meeting with a client this morning and I think one, one of the positive feedback that I got uh, from them was um, what we, what they love about the approach that you work with them on is the uh, is the simple fact that the, it is this co-creation. We don't yeah. we don't believe that we're the experts in their business. We have but we know yeah. how to ask the right questions to get the results that they need, yeah. and we work with them to get there, as opposed to the just blanket rule of this is what we think's wrong or this is what you need to do and we recommend, mm. um, it is let's work together to get there and get you the outcomes yeah. that you need. So I think an organisation that wants to join the movement, mm. <laughs> join the movement. Oh, I love it. This is a change. <laughs> I know, right? An organisation <laughs> who, who wants to do things a little differently probably needs to have a similar mindset, you know, mm. like let's get a little curious about what this is yeah. and and 
appreciate the the science that's behind it, the knowledge that's behind it, and be open to learning those capabilities in inside our organization, but also having a having the confidence that, you know, doing these things, approaching change differently, building capabilities in our people that we know will support better outcomes mm. will result in better bottom line outcomes as well. Oh yeah, the know. return on investment. Oh, yeah. We haven't even started. That's another yeah. Oh yeah, a whole other topic. Yeah. I am conscious of time because you've got to shoot off. Uh-huh. Um, if we were to wrap this up, well, we aren't wrapping this up. <laughs> That's silly comment. <laughs> we're wrapping this up We're wrapping now, it up. Right. And you have one last thing. You go, right, my main core reason for coming on this show, the one message that I want everyone to walk away with about change or the change management or whatever it is, what is it? Because you've talked about thinking positively. Yeah. Is it the mindset towards change? What is the one thing that you go, right, that's it. Walk away with this and then you'll be one step better at change. The one thing I want, I don't know if it's I want, you know, people to walk away with one thing. Yeah. Right. You know, but, but what I would like in terms to, you know, to set a challenge, right, is to go if you are part of change, any part of it, whether you have instigated it, whether you are part of enabling it within a project team, whether you're a project manager or a change manager, whether you are part of some of the other enabling functions like learning and development and communications and all of those different things that need to make things happen, whether you're an employee who's part of change, think about how often you respond to the suggestion of change with the negative. Mm. Just pay attention to it. That's it. Just do that first. Nothing else. Because I guarantee that you will realise so quickly how often we start there first. Yeah, we're starting off on the wrong foot. And it's a bit – what's that thing where like when you, you know, want to buy Hyundai, all of a sudden you see See Hyundai's? Yeah. I think that when you realise – like when you start looking for how often you respond in the negative or how often you start your planning in the negative, it will become evident – that the shift is needed. You'll hear the language everywhere. Absolutely. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And then and then take that awareness and start flipping it. And change it. Create yeah. your own movement yeah. within your own organisation. Yeah. I love it. Where do we get in contact with you? How do people find you? How do they get in contact with okay. you? How do they learn more? They can reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. Yep. So um, Kylie Morton, if you Google search me, I'll Google yep. on LinkedIn. Um, send me an email, um, kylie.morton at synergyiq.com.au. Um, go yeah, from there. Go from there. Beautiful. Yeah. You can follow Kylie. She's uh, going to be uh, – I'm going to bang very, on about this yeah, a bit now. Yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> I think the movement started. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you for all that you're doing. And, look, you know, as a leader of the business of Synergy IQ, thank you for – all the positivity that you're bringing into our workspace, right, and and yeah. the benefits that you're, you're bringing to the team are huge. Uh, and thank you for all the work that you're doing for the clients out there. I know they're all sitting there um, clapping their hands saying, you know, kudos, thank you. Great. It's really valuable. Thank you. Uh, that's it from us. Thank you very much. Um, we'll catch you next time. All right. Thanks, Dan. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. 
I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care guys, all the best. 